0: we're talking about game dev and let's maybe talk about some other games that are played all across the globe uh, Mm -hmm. called let's call them pandemic games (laughs) or let's let's just take a rear view mirror and maybe try to sum up or review the impact of the last two years Mm -hmm. on your life and maybe the industry and the way that that the digital artist today works Mm -hmm. maybe let's let's also play in some future forecast if we Mm-hmm. If we can, and uh, like it's all, already two years since since the pandemic broke out, and how how did you how did you, that impact your you and your work <sighs> and life?
1: I mean, it's been a weird thing as well, where it's kind of been a blessing in disguise because we were so locked up and, and inside for so long. You know, it definitely pushed me to learn more within three D. But then, one of the greatest things I've done over the last two years. Even over the last year was uh, game jams. You know, like it's a weird thing that people talk about. You know, within university settings and stuff. But even outside of that, I know people who are in the industry and, and will do it just as something fun to do for the weekend. But you know, there was uh, a really good uh, setup um, organized by Colin McDonald um, and Brian Baglow and a couple other guys from the industry in Scotland, and they actually were some of the original guys at DMA Design who made the first Grand Theft Auto Games in Dundee, Scotland. And now industry veterans uh, running their own companies, but they set up this whole thing called uh, Games Jobs Live, specifically for games uh, within the games industry, um, or sorry, jobs in the games industry in the UK. And uh, the, one of the first events they held was a game jam, um, and it was going to be held over a week, which is great because a lot of game jams are either 24 hours or 40 hours, and um, the way that they, they done it, it was a whole week um so you weren't doing the whole thing where like you have to stay up like 24 hours or you you weren't sleeping and they wanted you to like work on something then go away from it sleep come back to it the next day um so yeah so we done uh actually it was kind of last minute I I went in the discord they were running at the time that Colin had set up and uh I posted my, my portfolio really last minute I wasn't even thinking about doing it and then two artists from Ireland reached out to me and they uh came from Waterford College, which is the same college that Danny Dwyer. Danny O'Dwyer went to um before going to a, GameSpot and No Club and everything. And Sean and Adrian I looked at my stuff and really loved it. And they talked about, you know, they sold me the whole pitch of like they had won a bunch of game jams in the past and they had done really well and they were just basically looking for an artist to to beef up their their core gaming skills and make the three D stuff. So yeah, I got involved with him. Uh, we made a game in a week called Tomato Mare, which was uh, a game about a tomato that lives through a, a kitchen nightmare and has to navigate like in his head like a nightmare where there's kitchen utensils and plates everything flying around, and you jump from utensil to utensil. And uh, yeah, it won a bunch of awards, like almost seven different awards in one go. It was one of the best games they had seen at the time. And yeah, a whole relationship with those guys was born And then we reconvened back in March this year and done another game, The Calamity, which was just as good. Didn't win as many awards this time, I think, because we overreached a bit. But at the same time, uh, it was one of the most intense things I had done 3D-wise. And it was fun as well because that was one of the the key cornerstones for Matt wanting to hire me because he loved not only how quickly I could work, but the level of stuff I could make. And him seeing the final game was just like proof that I could make something for him on the same level. so yeah those game jams were instrumental in the pandemic it was something to do during lockdown that really escalated my my uh skills core skills in maya uh, and substance and other things and you know rendering and, and working in unity for the first time and getting used to that game engine and um getting to learn about game design i even got to design some levels and some animations so yeah, it was a bunch of stuff i'd done that was really awesome and uh it just kept me going through the whole thing because obviously it was it was shit to be stuck inside all the time and um yeah, it it was just a a, a shit set of circumstances over the last couple of years, but I've tried to make the best of it, you know. And and the podcast obviously was putting out multiple episodes at one point every month, and mm. was trying to view more and more people, and and because uh, I couldn't go to events, so and I've been, you know, the last five years, I've really been all my money has went to you know going to events, going, you know, and and I saved for so so long to to go to Lightbox in LA in twenty nineteen. So yeah, the, the fact that I just couldn't go anywhere anymore. Um, I tried to compensate by having a bigger online presence. So um, but now post pandemic, right? Um, or well, you know, years later, there's so many people I know that are now embracing remote working fully. I mean, at Fabricated Madness, we have people on every corner of the globe almost, and we all work remotely. We all work from our homes. Um, Matt's fully embracing the remote work thing because he's like, you know, why do you need to have a brick and mortar place? Um, it's something we want to do in the future. We talked about if we had a lot of money and investment, and in the, the game done really well. We would want to open a, a not only a, a North American studio, but also a European studio, which would probably be actually here in Scotland, where we could bring in the European talent to work here, um, probably in somewhere like Glasgow. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of where we are. We're at um, maybe even in Falkirk, where I stay. You know, like we could have people locally here working so yeah it's it's a thing for the future but yeah even one of the guys i know in the industry uh i don't know if you guys know alex beddoes but alex also does the game dev discussion podcast for for the dynasty and uh alex is a big influence on me as well for podcasting and for art and he recently got a job with respawn in la working on a new star wars title and he is now fully remote so he will work in england um but also work for respawn in la so I think, yeah, it's going to be a thing where people have realized that you don't need to have one place for people to meet. If people have the, the technology and, and the infrastructure and, and the, the tools here in their own home, they don't need to be in the office. It's the same for my partner. You know, Diane is working for uh, local government and they are also embracing the work from home scene because uh, they've learned because they're coders, they're, they're engineers, programmers they don't need to really be in the office as long as they have the computers in front of them they can work anywhere so yeah mhm
0: yeah so so that's kind of like a new experience for you like before pandemic you didn't have like remote work experience yep right yep yeah that's yeah of, it was kind of funny yeah. from, from my side like, like when i started <laughs> working here at garage mm-hmm. farm we kind of <laughs> like we had that uh, style of working remotely for most uh, most of us And that that's when when the pandemic hit, we we were kind of like feeling lucky. You know, we we were just prepared for that. And Mm -hmm. yeah, Uh, but do you see some you know some cons? Like you you mentioned that those um, those live events that were canceled, like these uh, face to face meetups, uh, yeah, that that were so important for you that you said you saved money for that. Um, Yeah, how do you how do you see you know that? do you miss that a lot? You know, do you think it it could be replaced, or or is that uh, something that can't really you know be fully replaced with with all this virtual? I mean, yeah,
1: there's a mix, right? So um, <clears throat> one of the things I've noticed from people, even like playgrounds who who host events, they've went kind of fully online. So the THU Lightbox this year was fully online as well, and people done uh, patents over Zoom. And, uh, you know, I think it's even a thing where Bobby Chu, who runs Lightbox, saw an opportunity there and he invented uh, Magna Studios, which is an online tool like Photoshop, which you can run in your browser. If you send people the link, you can all paint on the same canvas at the same time. So he already had the idea of, of making something that no matter where people are, they can jump into something and paint together. So they did a lot of talks this year where people were on Zoom calls and talking about issues, but they were all sitting painting on the same canvas. And they had these huge canvases with like 20, well, maybe 20, 30 people. There was maybe like 10, 10, 12 people painting on the same canvas. So there's a way that these can now exist digitally. But I think if the world starts to open up again, we will go back to in-person meeting. I think it's something that we crave as individuals. I know I do. I know even like next year, I know that THU is, is prepping again in Portugal for their big event, and, and they had one this year. You know, they had a THU in person in Portugal this year and, and uh, in Troya, and uh, it, it seemed to go well. I didn't see many people getting sick. You know, uh, people were taking precautions and, and make sure they were vaccinated and, you know, keeping socially distance and, and trying to, you know, um, wear masks wherever possible, especially inside. So, i think it's now open different avenues for these events where you can have people going to things in person but then there'll also be an opportunity for people who can't go to things in person they can also attain the digital pass and then you know uh participate in that sense online so yeah but i need to get back to it because yeah i just i need to get back to meeting people it's i'm sick of being indoors i mean it's it's, it's really getting to me now so that's, luckily we just bought a house recently so I have my own space now where I can put my, my computer and I can shut the door at the end of the day and go downstairs and then go out for a walk. Um, but previously, when we were saving for the house and the pandemic hit, we were in my parents' house. So my computer was in their spare room, which was their dining room. So, you know, I didn't really get any sense of closure or, or privacy in that sense. But yeah, I'm just glad I'm here now. So, yeah. so um, do, you think, do you think,
0: you know, like, getting back to that idea of of um of everything like going virtual like meetings Mm -hmm. uh you know talks and um, work right now even digital Mm -hmm. and and that that matrix thing that is happening you know and and the recent announcements from from facebook like about the metaverse and you know right just just laying uh, ahead of us laying that vision of being totally shut down from the real life and just immersing in, in that uh, virtual space. Yeah. Uh, like, how do you see it? Is it like, is it uh, that the future is bright or maybe it's rather that we are entering some ap- apocalypse? So. <laughs> how would you help <laughs> well, you? It, yeah, we talked about
1: that kind of when we talked about the whole, um, like the matrix thing and, you know, how things are going to live virtually i think it's a it's going to be a weird landscape in the next couple of years where people embrace living indoors more the the positive is that we could be more connected than ever right we could we could be having virtual meetings with headsets on where people feel like they're physically sitting in front of us and that gives you the sense of like connection because you can reach out and touch somebody you can see them in front of you it's less like you're staring at a screen you know what i mean um but there's constant right we as people are not naturally meant to be sitting inside all the time we're meant to be out in the sunshine we need the vitamin d to thrive you know vitamin d isn't even a supplement vitamin d among unknown to most people vitamin d is actually a growth hormone so like if you're lacking in vitamin d in a lot of the senses there's parts of your body that just wither you know and you really need to be outside at some point so i think over the last summer when we moved into the house i was actively outside fixing stuff and and you know, putting stuff in my back garden because I knew if I got a job after summer or or, or an opportunity and the winter hit you know I was gonna be you know that was gonna be taken away from me, so I needed to really soak up as much as I could. It also means that you know the v r experience is difficult because the glasses are one thing, but the oculus headset is difficult because we know in younger children oculus headsets and v r headsets in general are not great for long term eye health, so It kind of makes me think that it could be dangerous at one point, like phones, because even phones have been such a a new technology the last 20 years. We still don't really know the extent of what they're doing to us, you know, especially with social media. So it's a thing where a lot of kids now are grown up with ADHD or things about attention because, you know, they're so malnourished with it, with with the dopamine, you know, responses with with social media. So that's a a con for it as well as something you've really got to look at. I actually just really recently, um, I've never talked about this publicly, but I developed a, a condition in my eye recently that uh, I'm basically going to have my whole life. Um, it, it won't affect my vision and it's not anything you know too bad, but I think it was born out of my time on screens my whole life. And of course, within the pandemic, being so fixated on the screen every single day. Um, people don't know that when you stare at your screen, it actually stops you from blinking. So your eyes don't lubricate so if you stay at your screens for too too long your eyes will severely dry and start to really develop horrible conditions because um you're not either lubricating them or putting drops in or something like that or using proper eyewear so stuff like night modes uh, are great now because they dull the screen into the orange so it, it lets your brain rest and yeah i think i've had that problem my whole life with screens but yeah it's 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 a double-edged sword Technology's great, it's furthering the advancement of humankind, it's going to be a great time for games and entertainment and all that kind of stuff, but at the same time, we have to limit it, we have to put restrictions on stuff, we have to really think about kids' interactions with technologies and how they're, you know, using them, Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's a thing where there needs to be, like, everything in life, there needs to be balance, right, needs to be real balance across the board and regulations. Yeah,
0: so, so as you said you, you're kind of fed fed up with a, like this whole indoors uh, mm-hmm. so what would you what you would be that one thing that you did that you would do if you knew that today today the, the pandemic ended and there's nothing to worry about anymore no restrictions <laughs> and what would that be the thing that you miss most oh god um
1: it's funny though when i say comic cons because i used to love going to them and and being part of them and even having boosts at them where i'd sell my on drawings but like comic cons are one of those things even before the pandemic you would get sick at because there's so many people right in such a closed tight space so having one of those during the pandemics has been like a you know like a nuclear you know like do not go anywhere near you couldn't have a comic con now but now that the pandemic's on its way out we're kind of thinking like we could start to hold them again and in scotland especially the guys at gamer hub are thinking about hold, hold hosting events in scotland would be industry standard that people could come in as well so there's a lot of opportunity for stuff you know post-pandemic I think for me tomorrow I definitely would want to try and go back to events or just meet up with artists around Scotland and, and I'm planning on doing that I want to start hosting if I can some in uh in-person events in either Glasgow or Edinburgh and meet up with people and and try and just bring the community closer together because it's funny enough as much talent as we have you probably find the same in poland right as much talent as there is locally here trying to meet up with people is is impossible because you know people have work or they can't get to stuff or you know it, it's a whole thing but um and then a, a lot of those people i know who want to meet up it's like you know you only really meet up if you're like you're just starting out or you're new to the industry because you're trying to meet people but the guys who have full-time jobs or like working huge companies just don't have the time to do that stuff. So they never come. So I'd love to do because we were talking to Carla Ortiz and Carla had this event called Fuck It and it was great because she was just like, people just show up. And she was like, Fuck it, just if you show up, you show up. And she was like, No matter how many people are invited, as long as somebody showed up, I was happy. If it was one person, if it was two, great. If it was 20, even better. And uh she really missed those during the pandemic because she couldn't host them. And now she's saying, like, you know, post vaccination, she's hoping that, you know, we can start to roll those things out again and do them so i'm planning to do a couple in scotland just to get some kind of industry vibe or get people you know met up and, and doing stuff um i also want to at one point try and host my own event and have people come and do talks and then you know obviously people would would do in live demos or they would do talks about their, their career maybe even do a live uh digital art cast and, and talk to people so yeah th- that's one of the things i would love to do is set up an event and, and try and get people to come from um Potentially all over the world, or just all over the UK.
0: Yeah, yeah, but uh, po- possibly you know the, the 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 flip side of the of this, uh, and the good the good side that people you know just have so much more time uh, indoors is is like mm. that the demand for for uh, for the game dev and for generally Oof. CGI or an- anything that's Oof. providing entertainment or or at least. Oof stuff like that there's just so much more demand right now so yeah i don't know if you if you'd agree if uh, you know the pandemic just gave an unexpected additional boost to the already growing cgi industry yeah oh i mean like
1: the i mean on the film side of it no because because the restrictions people couldn't film stuff so like that was holding people up i mean Especially in Scotland, we felt the bite of it because Scotland actually, believe it or not, is one of the highest places right now for people to film at. We just built a, a movie studio outside in Edinburgh where people are filming right now. Um but even the other week there, um they were filming the new Flash movie in Glasgow. So they had the guy dressed up as Batman who was on the motorcycle and was chasing people and um there was a big accident there actually, and then one of the guys, the stunt guys, I think nearly died, but yeah, they filmed uh, Indiana Jones 5 here. Like they were, they had the whole uh, of Glasgow set up like 1960s America. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, there's been tons of stuff that's been filmed here. It's crazy. And and that was really hitting our tourism industry really hard. But then on the flip side with games, you know, my God, it's just like it exploded. And there's just so much work now. Um, I mean, stuff like Fortnite was just, they were printing money at one point, Epic, because just everybody was playing it. Apex especially as well like um a bunch of games like that yeah there's there's just so much need and demand for it now because people were indoors to play games i mean twitch itself like one of my close personal friends like one of my one of my older friends like he started his twitch career at the start of the pandemic because he was just so bored sitting inside and then eventually it was like you know what fuck it like you know let's just jump on twitch and start playing games and and uh, a year later now um because he just recently celebrated his year anniversary and and he's like I think he's just past five hundred followers and he's done that in one year, so it's pretty good. Um you know he's on the road to Twitch partner now, so but yeah, like there's so many people who have borne these new gaming careers just by the luck of the fact that the pandemic has started and people had to sit inside. So yeah, it's it's been a thing where the demand has just grown and I think it's done great things for the industry. Um and now again the positive, like I said a bit earlier, was that you know you've got guys like Alex who are working now out of uh, England down south, but are working for companies in LA. You know, uh, he didn't have to go over to California; he's just working remotely for them. But gets to work on these major, major studio projects like Star Wars um, without leaving the comfort of his home. So it's it's a win-win for a lot of guys like me. You know, also the fact that I work for uh, an LA-based company and uh, I get LA wages but in the uk right so like you know for me that's a big benefit because if i had to work for a company here and get the same level you know if i worked as a junior here um yeah i wouldn't be making anywhere near as much money as i am with the guys in la so um yeah there's a lot of benefits that came out of the pandemic and i'm glad for the fact that that's happened um so yeah it's it's, it's a It's crap that the pandemic's hit and we're all in this situation but at the same
0: time it's helped a lot of people i know so yeah all right i think i think that that can you know that can be it right in terms of yeah so let's let's talk about art i'd say Mm -hmm. general generally art digital or not Mm -hmm. Uh, and I've been uh, scrolling through your Instagram feed, and I mm-hmm. found one interesting fact that you are a big fan of my, Mike Mignola's uh, Hellboy. Yes, which, I, which I'm a big, uh, you know, fan of myself too. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I really enjoy uh, both the visual, the very very distinct visual style that he has, and uh, yeah. also really enjoy the, the sense of humor. I really started out, you know, quite late. Uh, with the comics, like, st- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Starting like I started out from from, from the first movie that, you know, mm-hmm. that I saw, and then I just dug into into the comic books. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I found I got really to, I got to
1: meet I got to meet Mike Bignola at Lightbox. Hmm. He gave me he gave me a sketch and a, an autograph, so that was a moment for me. Yeah, these
0: are yeah, <laughs> very <sighs> inspiring moments. Well, like I wish I had that. You know, I I just yeah myself uh, had that little you know internet moments when when i was thinking about quitting even having instagram and then mm-hmm. and then i I posted some stuff uh, regarding uh one of my comic book heroes like here from poland uh, mm. it was called uh, tadeusz baranowski and then mm-hmm. I, I just find found that he's online on instagram as well and he liked some of my drawings and that was like that's oh wow that that, that that's Yeah, those moments that make you want to, you know, stick to to it. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, what what is that you like uh, about Mike's work, his style?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, like, that's a big question, because, I mean, Mike is, like, one of the the all-time greats, right? You know, like, uh, Mike's done so much stuff, even before Hellboy, you know, with his time at, you know, Marvel and other comic book uh, adventures that he had before he made his own thing um, with Image. And yeah, like comics for me were were a big part of of my journey. Like the one of the first art books apart from Skyrim that I got was Jim Lee's Icons, which was Jim Lee's art book at the time of all his his drawings that he'd done for DC over the last, you know, uh 20-30 years that he'd been a, a a comic artist. and I think I just uh I love the draftsmanship of what they what they do, you know. Like I just showed me my, my sketchbook, you know, I just I think those images are just even fun just to replicate or, or make storytelling is so prevalent a lot of their drawings and and anatomy you know composition perspective you know there's so much that goes into that craftsmanship and i think it's really an under appreciated art form you know people pick up comic books in, in their local shops and read them for 10 minutes and throw them in the garbage but it can take people sometimes months to make one of those issues and you know even between penciling inking coloring lettering there's so much that goes into just one of those issues that and it's it kind of for me resonated with the idea of of games because they're the same right you know guys i know who work in stuff like Call of Duty, which is super popular at the moment you know they will spend months if not weeks on a prop that will sit on a table that people will pass in two seconds and it's it blows my mind that you know the appreciation for these things is so lost and i think with the art form as well with 2d drawn. It's something we really need to fight to maintain. And, you know, there's so many people I know who teach that stuff who are very adamant about, you know, learning those things traditionally. Um, Antonio Steparts is one of the guys who I interviewed who does ArtWord, Art Out of the Day. And ArtWord is a great system where they teach different things every single day, every single week. Uh, Antonio puts up prompts and things for you to do, so you're constantly uh, active. ArtWord actually stands out for Art Workout of the Day so every day you do something different, like, you know, ten heads, ten boxes. But his beginner course that he's just set up recently, which is great, um, is all to be done traditionally, because he wanted to basically, you know, take a ground zero approach for every artist that, you know, you don't need this antique or a tablet, you just need a pencil and a pen and a, a sketchbook, or even just some paper. So I think for me, traditional art is great because it, it hones on in that natural creative spark that we have as kids to draw on paper, to crayon, to make messes and really keep the creative spirit alive because the CG stuff's great and it's fantastic with stuff like Blender and Maya and all these great tools and programs and substance now with the whole thing with him merging with Adobe, you know, like the possibilities are now becoming endless and it's going to get to a point where studios even now I've seen have become program agnostic where, you know, people who want to work in Blender and in industry can do it because they have now opened that door. So I think it's a thing where it's great to have that and it's great that that is now a thing especially now that even VR's a thing where we can sculpt and model in VR but I still think those traditional tools play a huge role in relevance um in what we do as artists because I know even you know loads of guys like uh you know who have these huge CG careers and have these huge 3D careers but they started like just like me they they drew and they painted and and done these traditional things because that was the earliest or most accessible approach to art for them was art supplies, pencils, pens, papers, paints. Um, But then it's a great thing where because of the way the industry is, you can transition those things really great. I mean, Matthias Semeca, who we've talked about at length, and you guys have interviewed, um, you know, he started as a 3D artist and then transitioned into 2D and is now obviously on the path to 2D animation and his stuff. I don't know if you saw his Batman short recently, but like,
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, like, all in blender all done by hand and uh incredible you know and and it's great to see what a range that guy's had in his career and um yeah i think as long as you keep those fundamentals and 2d fundamentals are great as well for a lot of reasons and like i talked about perspective composition light storytelling these are things that when you go into a studio environment even in 3d people will look for that stuff in your work Mm -hmm. you know when you take renders especially and you, you set up a scene you'll try and set it up specifically like a painting where like you know your point of interest is on one part of the grid and your characters on the other or you know the tables laid out so that things are kind of leading you round to one particular prop that all comes into play so i think for 3d artists specifically 2d is a great medium again just to learn a core fundamental that you can't get by opening Maya or blender right you know there's only so much you can learn with those by clicking buttons but if you physically have to paint or draw something in a perspective grid or a composition, set, then that will inform so much to do with the rest of your artwork.
0: I'd say I'd say even that uh, if you take a look at art in like art history in general, there was also always like kind of this this push towards making like uh, the art mimicking the real world that we perceive, and mm-hmm. uh, there was mm-hmm. always like the kind of more stylized work or more mm-hmm. you know transformative art forms yep. that that were mm-hmm. more maybe dive diving into some specific mediums like sculpture or, or painting or different mm-hmm. different things that people did for making art and art was always uh, something more than just you know depicting the, uh, the thing that you see it was telling, telling something more mm-hmm. and like digging into into modern modern digital art like For example, like I've been really blown by the Spider Verse movie. Mm. Uh, What what they really did there, like bringing in to the modern, you know, three D animation and all those, you know, kind of like visual language Mm -hmm. of of the comic book, of the print effects, like everything, like layered together, it 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 felt like a big, you know, big, like meaty graffiti piece of artwork, and and all moving and like. For me, it was like pure eye candy, and I enjoyed mm-hmm. it even like th- that pure layer of of, of yeah. animation. For me, was was very enjoyable to to watch, and uh, mm. especially with that, you know, that three D dominance in the in the area, right? The, the, yep. the v- VFX in movies, and you know the, that Pixar mm. style of animation, like everything mm. seems seemed all the same, and that and then that came right. So,
1: yeah, I, I mean, especially it, with the new the new trailer that just dropped as well like the the world they showed off in that new trailer for Spider-Verse 2 like mm-hmm. that looks even more comic fied you know like more yeah, comic Yeah and I think um,
0: that's, that's kind of like a whole new world of exploration Yeah that's yeah. Uh, yeah. that's even more interesting than I think it's it's even more interesting than this uh, you know um this Unreal Engine 5 metaverse like it's yeah. Th- this one seems kind. Like you you can kind of expect how it's going to turn out. Like in the end, it mm-hmm. will just be immersive and it will fool your eye to mm-hmm. and make you believe in the world that it's uh, just realistic. And and the other yeah. side of the spectrum is like really unexpected, and you can go anywhere from there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. I would like to ask you. Like we were talking about comics, and um, mm-hmm. did you have like some some other role models or inspirations that were heavy, uh, heavily heavily you know, influencing your art uh, aside from games and and comics? Maybe maybe some movies, animations that that were like big big milestones in your you know visual. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, it's a bit of a loaded question because there's just there's so much that's influenced me. I mean, games are one thing. Like, I mean, the world of games has always influenced me to be more creative and think about different mediums and, and worlds within worlds. Um, I mean, I know for me, comic books was, yeah, a huge thing for me. Um, one of the biggest artists outside of guys like Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane, who are, are amazing, was also Joe Madureira, And, you know, Joe is now running Airship Syndicate, and they have also produced. Um, some Darksiders games recently, the Rune King stuff for Riot Games. But Joe's influence was huge to me because of just, his artistic style, it was just incredible. The stuff that he was drawing at the time. Um, I mean, he's been working for Marvel since he was 17 years old. So, like, you know, that guy has some legacy. Um, and Todd, obviously, with Spawn, like, Spawn's been a huge influence for me for a long, long time. The way he drew those comics, the, the animated series that I really initially got into before the comics, and then the toys, you know, like, a lot of these guys were just self made entrepreneurial geniuses. You know, they they had the the forethought to really think about how the industry was changing. You know, even with McFarlane toys, when Todd McFarlane made that branch of his company, he was talking about making, you know, super hyper detailed adult toys that were like, you know, we're gonna blow the water out of anything else that like Mattel and Hasbro were making. And he went and done it and funded it all himself, you know, and the comic book is still going. He's now recently now working on a new spawn film which is coming out and um, you know, the guy's just ahead of the curve and to think back when he worked at Marvel, how he basically invented Venom and Carnage and those those creatures that are now huge properties in movies as well later down the line. Um, yeah, those were some of the biggest influences. Just not even the idea that those guys were amazing artists, but just amazing people, just amazing entrepreneurs and business people and, and leaders and Yeah. So that was a big influence for me. And and then I think in general, uh even though I've not agreed with some of their, their processes the last couple of years but nintendo was a huge influence on me for a long long time um just the way they used to create and craft their worlds especially i'd say the last couple of years with breath of the wild like that game really influenced like my stylistic approach to art making and prop making and world building and how things could be versus how they are um so like yeah i mean games also like the witcher um we'll not talk about cyberpunk, but like, yes, yeah, I mean, The Witcher's obviously been great and, and a huge influence on me and now the TV series of that, it's been fantastic to watch. So that's inspired me as well. And and yeah, since the early days, it was again, just playing video games and, and watching those behind the scenes. I mean, there's some great and incredible documentaries out there. You know, I talked about Daniel Dwyer who we interviewed from Noclip and he's made some really incredible, you know, if you guys haven't checked out the Noclip channel, you really have to because there's so much content on there. he done a whole like, I think it was like a four-part process on Square Enix and how they basically shut down Final Fantasy XIV online and relaunched it to what it is now, which is the behemoth that is Final Fantasy XIV. But yeah, that whole couple of hours talking to those guys and his documentary on Ashton Air, which was absolutely tear-jerking and so heartwarming to watch about how, you know, they made that game despite of one of their colleagues dying halfway through the production. And, you know, it's crazy. And, and then the the double fine documentary right the guys tim schaefer who made uh grim fandango and monkey island that's on my arm back in the day and all that shit you know when he started his own studio and made psychonauts and then you know made broken age and got it backed by kickstarter and they raised three million dollars like that whole documentary just every time an episode came out just really inspired me and really got me motivated to learn and dive back into the, the, the industry and learn as much. and I've I've been lucky to interview a couple of those guys at that studio, you know, like Scott Campbell and Lee Petty. Um, so, like, you know, even Peter, uh, Peter McDowell, who uh, was their audio director in all those games back in the day. So, I mean, yeah, there's a whole slew of things that influence me. It's not just one thing, and I think that's kind of the same for a lot of people. Um, music as well, you know, like, I mean, my time and entertainment, playing music and writing it, you know, has been something of a creative outlet for me, and I still kind of write um, I guess you could call it poetry, but I still write lyrics from time to time and, and try to get that out of my head and any on a paper. So yeah, there's there's a whole thing. I mean, you talked about the Spider-Verse. I mean, I think the Spider-Verse almost lived through its soundtrack, right? That that informative style of how the whole thing was positioned, how the artwork, you know, the the music was part of it. The music was such an integral part of that film, um, that it was it was uh it was almost like its own character, you know. And I think that's where the mediums of filmmaking are now exploring unlimited potential where they can involve music as a character, visual mediums as a character, paint 2D, you know, trying to meld all those things into one, uh, any, you know, for people to consume, um, Guardians of the Galaxy came back, you know, with, uh, with the new episode that's coming out soon, number three. But when that first came out, the biggest thing about that film was the soundtrack, right? You know, um, so there's a whole thing on, entertainment mixing together and, and and things all melding into one and yeah th- there's a whole slew of things that influence me but yeah it's hard to not or just one but
0: yeah yeah so so much so much things going on into that part of art and mm-hmm. the yet it's all it's all still kind of like uh, with, with the digital art especially that we are mm-hmm. creating it's all revolving around technology and all mm-hmm. these new advancements and there's so much work to do like it's mm-hmm. it's like growing like growing exponentially the amount of work that mm-hmm. that needs to be done but then the tools are also coming in like the mm-hmm. artificial intelligence and i i wanted to ask yeah. you what's your take on the ai in the artist's mm-hmm. toolbox and uh, maybe mm-hmm. do you fear that it will kind of you know replace artists mm-hmm. in general like there's there's a sentiment like that floating around i
1: think that's one of the most asked questions we ever get as artists is about (laughs) ai and it's like yeah i mean like when 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 substance first came out people used to say the thing like oh my god you know texture artists are dead like there's going to be no jobs left but then it was just another tool for texture artists to use and show off how much they could actually do because they had this new brand new technology even the fact that you know when the tools and pipelines came into stuff like when you know people thought it was like the end of the industry when unreal became free and you didn't have to pay for it anymore. Like, ah, oh, you know, they're, they're 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 doing themselves out of money. They really should be self-charging for it. But then think of how many people have got into Unreal Engine and learned how to use it because it was free. Um, Blender, especially, the exact same thing. People thought, you know, is this the end of Maya? Is this the end of Max? Because Blender's free. No, people still use Max and Maya because they enjoy the program. So I think AI, like anything else, is going to be a tool, right? It's going to be something that when these tools come in, because it's still very early. I mean, you're talking like any... Adaption rate is an average of ten years. So now we're seeing AI to start becoming at the forefront of of modeling and 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 and, you know character design and all that kind of stuff. But then it's going to be like into the next decade before it's like we're using it the same way we're using Substance or we're using Maya, right? It it needs to have an implementation, and there's not actually great use cases for it just yet. I mean, I know one of the the AI uh, tools—I forget the name of it—but I know the guy who actually made it, but the one where it it would fill a room you know you would see like a 1980s kids room and the ai would make it you know like that and and it would fill the room but then even after that first pass you still need an artist to come in and design it and make sure that it sits and works storytelling wise with for the scene that you're particularly trying to build or you know maybe a really generic room but like it might be a 1980 kids room and the kids like between the ages of nine and 15 as female, you know, as into goth music instead of pop punk or, you know, so that's when the artist comes in and starts to add those little tweaks that make it, you know, unique to the, the storytelling aspect of what you're trying to do in terms of populating scenes, then yeah, sure. Like if you just want to fill a room with props and and have a general just blanket to, you know, uh, use and then build on top of sure. That's going to be a time saver. It's like the AI, the Nvidia is building just now where, you know you can paint with certain materials like water or mountains or clouds, and then it generates a picture based on where your brush strokes are. But then, after the fact, that because derek Zabroski has done a lot of stuff with that, and, and Yama Yorberov, where they've came in after the fact and spent hours on top of it, so it's like it's a great base, but then you have to take it to the finish line. Right, you have to push it beyond the base level because it can't interpolate every single stroke. You know, you don't know exactly where things are going to land or what it'll look like in the final image. It might change a lot. So AI is great. You know, it's good that these tools are now coming into effect and we're going to be able to use them on a consumer level. But then it's trying to find out where they're going to sit uh, in the game dev space, especially with the character generators that, you know, Ras talked about this a couple of times about, you know, that the character, I think they was it, was it, unreal's character thing where they were generating characters for people and and, and AI was making people basically and um, the metahuman stuff you know uh, he was talking about like that use case scenario where those again are just like using base meshes right they're great for a start but it's you try to get something particularly unique you know you still have to spend 30-50 hours modeling on top of that to make it what you need it to to be in the game Um, you know people say like you know you know uh if you're using a base mesh and brush for example you know again it's, it's it's a pre-generated person that you could probably throw into a game but it doesn't have the muscle structure you want you know the face isn't aged well enough or there's not enough wrinkles or you know maybe it has a scar down his middle that you can't quite get so you have to model that in and um so yeah ai is great but it's always just going to be a tool you know it's the same with uh people who learn how to draw right and people are like you know there's this ai tool there's this thing in blender like grease pencil and and it all starts with a base level of being able to draw right anything beyond that is a extra is a perk it's something you can use to speed up your process the same with uh tools that come out for blender that reef topologize stuff really quickly or you know that um you know like hard ops at the moment which is huge right now but then people are like oh shit like i've made a hole but now i still have to clean it up like well yeah that's always going to be the case you know i mean when we get to maybe the point where like it also bevels our bullions, but then also cleans it as well, that's going to be a huge advancement because it's a time saver for us. But then, you know, hard ops is still just a tool. You know, you still need to be able to model to a, a competent level for that tool to really be utilized well. Um, so yeah, like, yeah, AI will be a tool like anything else. It's not really going to change the landscape, I don't think, for a long time. Um, and if it does, it'll just be something that you add to your tool belt down the
0: line. Mm-hmm. So, so if uh, no, if all the AI and the things uh, that are aiding us as artists, like all the digital tools, just went out, like mm-hmm. the, the electricity went out, you know, with a big, <laughs> big, big blackout. The solar storms coming. Yeah. So if <laughs> if that happened, what would be mm-hmm. your art medium of choice? Oh, a drawing
1: it would definitely be drawn i'd go back to just pen and pencil yeah it would have to be the thing because uh it was my first love it'll be my last um i would love at one point to transition to doing full 2d stuff um but i've been lazy the last couple of months because <laughs> uh as soon as i got my job there was this huge sigh of relief where i felt like i could just take my foot off the brake for a while because i have been stepped on the gas for the last eight years i've never stopped you know going to events networking living online speaking to people the podcast you know learning 3d learning the mediums learning different programs learning substance learning mile learning unreal you know like it never ends it never will but then i felt like i was at a point now i'd I'd done a post on instagram and my facebook way way back when i first got my job and i talked about you know the fact that I got to sit down stairs in my new home, which we'd saved for forever to get, and finally moved into, and I usually, almost always, when I lived in my parents' house, I took my breakfast or my food back to my desk, and I would eat as I was watching a tutorial, or I was trying to update something or render something. So, like, I was never away from my computer. But I made my breakfast that morning, and I sat with my plate in my hands, and I looked at my dining room table that we just got, and I said to myself, "I can just sit down here and eat my food." and then go back to my desk like I don't have to you know I can I can relax for like 15 minutes I've earned it you know because at the time I had just finished work for for the the company and I was waiting on feedback from them getting online so I was I was taking some time to make some food so yeah I just felt like I could just take my foot off the break and just chill and I've been enjoying time with my partner I've been enjoying my home you know I've been enjoying just having a wee bit of time to myself at the weekends again so you know, as much as art is a constant thing, I think it's also important to remember that it's just a job, right? It's just
0: mm-hmm.
1: something we do that we're passionate about, but at the same time, we have to learn to have the flip side, right? Like the the quiet time, the time with friends and family. I mean, you know, you said you're married as well, so you know you want to spend time with your wife and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think if it all ended tomorrow, it would definitely be two D. go back to drawing and painting, but uh. I might actually take a couple of months off and just not do anything. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, I think so, yeah. That's, that's sometimes neglected, you know, the, the part yep. that we're, we're all constantly striving towards making better art. And at the end mm-hmm. of the day, you might just not, you know, not have what to, what to make this art about. You know, you have to have a life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because art, art is a communication tool, right? To, to express something and to tell stories mm-hmm. about, about something. And if you, if you don't, you know, have that something to tell about, right? Like, what, yeah. what, are, what are you going to do art about, right, if you don't live your yeah. life? Yeah, if you don't if you don't go
1: and live life, then you kind of replicate it in 3D. I mean, like, even people who get, you know, who would uh, would dive into something like Speedtree, right, and try and make something for a scene. And they'll make a tree and it looks cool, but then I'm like, You know, there's trees at your back garden. Go stand out in your back and look at a tree and think how it's made, how it forms from the roots up and how it branches out. Like that stuff that people really, really fail to see, you know, with all this procedurally generated AI-based technology is that you still have to go out and learn how the real world works before you can come in and replicate it in the computer. Um, That's always going to be the ground zero stuff, like the stuff that's outside your door. Um, Even the fact that people... Who I mean it's it's possible to be a good character sculptor without actually looking at people real people, but most people I've spoke to would say you really should attend a life drawing class if you want to learn how to make 3 d people because breaking that 2 d structure first will help inform so much of your 3 d work um even guys who I know who are animators for for 3 d games um you know a lot of guys I know who are animators go to acting classes and learn how to act and improv because the body motion they create when they're acting is something they can replicate when they then have to do, you know, mouth uh, acting or or hand gestures or, you know, so there's always going to be a level of real life you need to have. Um, Even, you know, when people replicate scenes and warehouses or, you know, derelict buildings or, you know, like somebody would make a, a diorama of like a cafe or like a little shop. Spend the time going into places like that and taking a million pictures, and see how things are set out. You know, see how like the knives and forks fall on the table. Like it's you know, for for some tables that are a restaurant, maybe there's like a bit of residue food or like some salt on the floor, or like if they have an animal in in the place, there's maybe some bowls where the animal eats and lives, or a little cat house, or all those small details of real life will make your actual art five times better. Yeah,
0: I guess I guess it's like. It's like with the AI thing, you know, mm-hmm. you can have the best AI of of the world, but if you don't feed it the right reference, right, like it's, yes. it's not it's not going to go anywhere. So we're 100%. kind shame. Of, yeah, we're we're the natural intelligence, yeah. We, but we also need that good food. Like I've 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 watched a talk by some, I think some art director. I don't recall the name, but his mm-hmm. thought was generally, you know, in order to be a better artists, you need to mm-hmm. to feed yourself the good reference right so in yes he, he, made, he made that into the quote like in order in order to make good shit you got to eat good food right something like that like yeah, a, yeah, yeah punchline i think
1: that's also why guys like Alex bedos started to do photography outside of their art right because that also is training your brain to look at scenes and compositions but it's a different medium from 3d so you can also then take that part of you and go outside and experience the real world but still inform your artistic side and the the 3d part of your brain because you're looking at and research on how those places are made informed and how you know city street lamps sit and how some things are crooked or there's things off balance like that information is stuff that's just invaluable to people who build scenes in 3d um because even when people first build scenes the, the temptation is to make every single thing straight and aligned and perfectly angled and even when you start to bevel stuff you know when you bevel things in 3d you make things super sharp because you want it to look like oh it's, that's a that's a corner that's a but then you learn that a lot of your soft your edges in 3d have to be soft because nothing in real life is that sharp right or it would cut you every time you touched it so it's like you know put your finger over the edge of your desk see how sharp it actually is you know like hold a piece of your keyboard up or something like you know try and think and feel how these surfaces actually interact with the real world and that will make your 3d designs 2d designs, anything more involved and more on the world of like attention to detail you know stuff that that really it, it, that's what people see is the the bridge between the entertainment experience and the uncanny valley you know there's enough detail in there that it feels like it's a lived-in world but no too off killer that it feels weird so yeah
0: yeah i guess ooh, i guess there's, there's so much you know so much we spoke about to chew to chew yeah. and think about right now i'm i'm just feeling full <laughs> <right now. laughs> uh, so i guess i guess this this is a sign like that i need a break and pro- possibly our audience as well mm-hmm. but i guess if they they turn hungry for more there's always mm-hmm. you know a new digital arcast Episode coming. <laughs> right. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. So we well,
1: we've got the, the Christmas episode going up with Carlo Ortiz and then we have a big one planned for January after the new year that I'm hosting at the end of this week. Um I'll not give away any any specifics, but it's gonna be a, a huge, huge episode with uh, a massive industry veteran. Um so yeah, that's coming at the at the end of January. So yeah, keep posted for that one. And again, you can find me again, you can find me on social, you can find me on Instagram and Art station and, and all those other things. I'm I'm usually quite active, so um, and I'll probably leave uh my email in as well if you guys want it. And if anybody has any questions, you can you can feel free to reach out and ask yeah, we'll, me anything. Yeah,
0: we'll definitely also try to put all the links in the descriptions and yeah, you won't have to search much. So you just click. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so thanks again for for having some time for us and. This was a really nice talk. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, It was our pleasure. So, yeah. I guess uh, we'll see you in the next episodes. Bye. Bye.